Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Radical Polymers. Nation, running a water treatment business is hard. Dealing with your suppliers shouldn't be. And when I deal with the fine folks over at Radical Polymers, I have always felt like I have had a partner. They test things in the environment that we are going to use their products. They also make sure that if I have any questions, that I get the answer that I am looking for. Mike and the fine folks over at Radical Polymers answer the phones. Folks, when was the last time you actually talked with somebody when you had a technical support question? Well, they make your issues their issues and they get right down to the problem. They offer best-in-class technologies with the first-class support that I just mentioned. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash radical to find out more. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we do not scale up our systems. Nation, you've got Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up. And Nation, I just have so many things to talk about this week. I can't believe that next week I will be in Seattle, Washington for technical training. That's what the Association of Water Technologies, the technical training is one of the teaching events that I look forward to so much each and every year. So I hope you have signed up for either next week, February 26th through 29th in Seattle, Washington, or the Cleveland, Ohio version, which will be March 18th through 21st. If you want to learn more information, you can go to awt.org and it will tell you everything you need to know and you can get signed up there. Now, if you do attend that and you listen to the show, please seek me out. Let me know that you listen to the show. And if you have any ideas for me, you know I love that. So please tell me that too. Now, there's no doubt about it. I speak a lot about the Association of Water Technologies. And a lot of people think that's the only organization that I am a member of. Well, that is not true. And you've heard me broadcast from several organizations. So that's what I am doing today. I am trying to let the Scaling Up Nation know more information about organizations that are water related. And today we are going to interview Jim Summerfield of DuPont and Jay Harwood of Suez. Now, Jim is the general chair of the International Water Conference and Jay is the technical chair. So these guys know what is going on in the International Water Conference. And just like you, I had questions about the IWC. You see, they're part of another organization. So if you go on their website, you might even think that you were at the wrong place. So we talk about all of that, how they got started. They've been doing this. Well, Jim and Jay haven't, but the IWC has been around for over 80 years. So we're going to talk all about that. You're going to learn so much about the International Water Conference. I'm sure it is going to whet your appetite to learn even more and maybe even go to the IWC this year. 
So without any further ado, and I've always wondered what ado is, but we don't need any more of it. Please help me welcome Jim Summerfield and Jay Harwood as we talk all things International Water Conference. I'm at the IWC convention, and I've got Jim Summerfield of DuPont, who is the general chair of the IWC, and Jay Harwood of Suez, who's the technical chair. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for asking us to be here today. Thank you, Trace. My pleasure. Uh, I know a lot of people in the Scaling Up Nation are curious, what is IWC? And we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to talk about the IWC conference, why people need to be here attending it. But I'm curious, what about you guys? So tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and what you do. I'm a commercial manager for Suez. I've been coming to the IWC now for, I think this will be my 13th year going into for 2020. As the technical chair this year, I'm basically responsible for bringing together our papers, bringing together our technical program so that we have a comprehensive, exciting, and inquisitive program going into next year. Right. So the bulk of the IWC is really around the technical program itself. So being able to have a strong technical program that is not repetitive, that's interesting enough, that's innovative enough, and that's relevant in terms of timing and attractiveness to the market in order for people to want to come and see this and want to hear the information and want to see the innovation, that's critical for us. So that's my responsibility next year, which is a very big responsibility, but I, I look forward to it. And what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I do a combination of risk management and bid management for Suez for our large projects. So I look after our more higher profile projects, projects where we do design, build, design, build, operate, design, build, finance. Uh, those are the projects I tend to get involved with and look at from a risk mitigation and a, and a project structuring perspective. Well, excellent. So, Jim, what about you? I am the uh, North American Commercial Manager for DuPont Water Solutions. I uh, have 11 people that report to me, 11 salespeople that report to me across uh, North America, including Canada. And uh, my day-to-day -day responsibilities, obviously, as a sales leader is to ensure the health and, uh, of our business from a sales perspective. My role as general chair this coming year is, um, is an interesting role because I get to have a seat at all of the different aspects of what we do at the IWC, from the technical chair to the workshops to our marketing program and how we reach out to, uh, to the industry and how we interface with the industry. So I'm really excited about being, uh, being in that role here coming up. And it's an opportunity to get more involved in a bunch of different aspects of the International Water Conference and how we promote it and how we continue to be successful from year to year. Well, thank you both for being here. I know the nation has a lot of questions about the International Water Conference. I'm hoping that we are going to clear that up today. So let's just start with that. What is the IWC? The International Water Conference this year is in its 80th year uh, of existence and was brought together by a bunch of industry professionals that had something in common, and that was their love of water treatment. Understanding the generational technology movement and expansion of different technologies into removal of, of ions and contaminants in water and how to produce pure water and, and what types of technologies were more efficient than others and things like that. It was also involved uh, back in the day, very heavily involved in cooling tower treatment. Um, it was a place where people went and learned about how to control their, their cooling tower water for, for legionnaires and corrosion and, and other microbial control. 
And over the years, it's evolved into, and we've had to evolve over the years into whatever the next emerging topics happen to be. And so for this year, for example, in the last several years, concentrate management, wastewater reclamation, water conservation, things like selenium, PFAS, mercury, very specific things that, that are now part of the, the lexicon in this industry that weren't, you know, maybe even 10 or 15 years ago. And we're seeing new markets such as, Jim said, PFAS. We've got effluent limitation guidelines for the power industry that the power industry has been facing and, and figure, trying to figure out how to solve for in the last several years. Sustainability and reuse, alternative sources of feed water. Um, you know, as Jim said, originally there was a lot of cooling tower discussion and boiler feed and condensate polishing, and that was the bulk of this conference. And now it really has evolved to cover virtually every aspect of heavy industrial water. Now, something I was hoping you could clear up for me is the IWC and the Eastern Pennsylvania Engineer Society. Did I say that right? How do they come together? What are they? Explain that for me. So it's Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania. They're located in Pittsburgh. And what they've done is a bunch of engineers in that area got together, formed a society, and how to reach out to the industry to help support different aspects of engineering. Now, clearly, water wasn't their first thing. It was roads, bridges, infrastructure, things like that, a lot of heavy civil stuff. And, and the Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania has other conferences that they sponsor other than the International Water Conference. And so um, the International Water Conference happens to be one that at some time, 80 years ago, it became pretty obvious that water was a very important resource that we had to manage and conserve and International Water Conference was formed. So do people join the International Water Conference? There's a couple aspects. So a lot of the people that do come to this conference, particularly the ones in Western Pennsylvania, are generally ESWP members, right? And that's, that's as much coincidental as it is anything else. Um, however, most of the executive committee, actually, I think all the executive committee and probably a good chunk of the advisory council are ESWP members, right, or their organizations are. The, you don't have to be a member of the ESWP to participate in the IWC. So that's, that's the counter to it. Our executive council's mandatory, but for anybody else, it's, it's optional. Now, as far as the IWC is concerned, it's really not so much joining the IWC, it's attending, volunteering, putting your hand up and saying, I, I want to participate, whether that's as an author, whether that's as a peer discusser, whether that's as a workshop instructor. Those are all positions that are open to anybody that want to put the, their hand and say, hey, I want, to, I want to come and participate on it. So from an IWC perspective, generally we'll get pushing somewhere around 900 attendees a year. And out of those 900 attendees, you know, there's probably the better part of maybe about 120, give or take, authors and discussers, I would say, out of those. And then we'll have better part of two dozen workshops as well with, with varying instructors. And that's the bulk of our participants. And then the advisory council and the executive committee are the ones that take care of session management as far as you know, pulling each of those technical sessions together and pulling each of those discussion groups together so that the sessions run properly. Who should join your organization? I would say anybody in the industrial water treatment space. Um, there's some niches. You know, we, we don't, there's parts of the industry that we don't see so much because that part of the industry doesn't necessarily facilitate these types of forums. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of food and beverage folks, for example, but I think we'd like to see more. Um, we see a lot of heavy industry folks. So we see a lot of folks in the oil and gas space, in the power space, in the mining sectors, downstream, upstream refining. 
we see all of those areas heavily, and then we start seeing various general industry manufacturing. We've got folks from automotive manufacturers showing up. We've got folks from chemical industry showing up. And it's a combination of technology suppliers, you know, individual equipment vendors, you know, pump suppliers or, or, you know, compressor suppliers we've seen, for example, water treatment technology suppliers, membrane guys, ion exchange folks, and everything in between. And then EPCs or, or, or the larger engineering companies, consultants. We see some general contractors that play heavily in the water space. And then what some people term as end users or basically, you know, the folks whose primary industries are not water, but water's essential part of them. Like a refinery or, or a chemical plant or, you know, where they're using water for steam generation and for heat within their, within their processes. And that, that steam has to be, before the steam becomes steam, you got to remove all the impurities out of the water so that it doesn't scale up uh, downstream processes. And that's a big, big part of, uh, of the industry and the general water treatment industry. So if someone's listening today and they said, I want to join this organization, what should they do? We'd call the Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania, right? And ask how to get involved. You could give them my name or Jay's name, and we would love to get people involved. We would recommend that they attend the conference and get a feel, get an active role in the conference and connect up with some of the leadership in the conference. And we can help that person get more involved and get the opportunities to, to participate and potentially get into some leadership roles like the technical chair and the general chair and the workshop chair. We'd love to see that. And we are encouraging a lot of younger folks to, to get into a life of water treatment. And for the love of water treatment like Jay and I have, we've been in it for, for so many years, we're trying to encourage younger participants and younger people to join this industry and seek the love of water treatment like we do. And I mean, this, this industry, it, it does have an aging demographic. There's, you know, there's a lot of people in this industry that are, that are getting older. And there's a lot of people in this industry that are getting to a point where they're retiring. And there's a big knowledge gap Right. You know, the folks in the middle of our career, you know, myself, maybe Jim's on the latter end, but <laughs> gosh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, I, I feel as I look around the industry, as I look around the demographics, there's sort of a gap. There's a large glut of senior folks that have a lot of knowledge. There's young people that are coming in, but this is a difficult industry to attract people to be to be interested in. Right. I did not come out of school expecting to work in the water industry. It wasn't something I was looking for. It was something I kind of fell into and I fell into it and I found there was an affinity and a passion to it. And now it's 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 more than just a career for me. It's a it's a life for me. But the one gap that I see in the middle point of my career is there's a numbers problem and there's a numbers problem with the folks my age and the experience base that we have compared to the senior folks that are retiring and there's a slow adoption of young people getting into this industry with that same kind of passion that, that I think we had when we were when we were younger coming in. So I would encourage it to be any aspect. If there's folks in the middle of their career that are starting to realize, hey, I've got a lot of experience technically. There's value I believe I can add to this, but there's also value I believe I could take away from this, from hearing from other people within the industry talk about new technologies, talk about validating technologies through testing, talk about solving problems in water or wastewater supply. We would encourage people in kind of mid-career to, to join us, but we also encourage a lot of young people to try and get in because this is also a really great forum, particularly with the workshops that we have and the way our technical sessions are set up for young people to get 
into this space and see more and learn more and not just and, and be able to interface with all these people as as we were talking before the podcast, there's a intimacy with this conference being only around 900 to a thousand people typically. And that's large enough for us to be relevant, but we're small enough for it to be intimate. And we're small enough for you to be able to walk around a floor and just introduce yourself to people or talk to people and just join conversations that are happening at, at the coffee stand during a break or on the exhibit show floor and just start introducing people and realize, hey, what do you do? Hey, wait a minute, you're in this space. I've seen your company before. Tell me more about you. You can walk around the floor and, and go to any exhibitor and have a conversation with them because you're involved in something that is common, right? You go to much some of these larger shows where there's 25,000 attendees and how many exhibitors, 10,000 exhibitors, and the relevance isn't there all the time. You know, you're hunting and seeking for somebody that you can go talk to that maybe has relevance to you. Where here, it's all relevant, right? One of the other things we wanted to, wanted to mention was the, the outreach program. We're talking about trying to bring in younger talent. We do have a, an outreach program, part of the uh, executive committee, that reaches out to universities and we offer scholarships to certain individuals at these universities, and then they come in and and as a, as a guest of ours. And um, we're now starting to see a return on that investment because we're starting, starting now to see, we just had a debrief uh, this afternoon here before uh, Jay and I showed up. We're starting to see kids that were in that outreach program that were here as students are now coming back as professionals. And that is a really, really good thing. We'd like to amp that up, right? And so instead of having four kids or five kids, maybe we get 10 or 20 and start tracking that traction that we're getting with those individuals and their and whether they're that scholarship program and that outreach program is 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 returning the dividends that we think it is and it's starting to it's a process not an event it's going to take time but we're starting to see some of the some of the fruits of those labors yeah we're also adding some workshop programs to try and increase that that young professional attraction as far as you know folks that are a couple years into their career you know, a lot of us, I think we got into this career and, you know, if you were to ask me, you know, when I was two years into my career, anything about condensate polishing, boiler feed, RO, whatever, there were, there were aspects to a lot of the industry. There's so many different broad areas to it. We've got workshop programs that we started setting up that we've called, you know, everything from water 101 to industrial wastewater 101, just as these, these intros and these broad spectrum views on all these different aspects of the industry that a lot of people get into their careers and there's just so much and there's so many different areas. It's hard to, you know, how do you know everything that's out there? How do you know what all the different bits and pieces are and how they interrelate to each other? How do you know how to design our O system? Right? How do you know what to look for if you're doing, if you're looking at a clarifier and you're looking at rise rates? Right? These are all things that we're trying to promote more of in our workshops and start bringing some of that senior knowledge and you know, some of that tribal knowledge that exists in a lot of this, a lot of this business, and start bringing it into the younger generations coming up. Because you know, some of these aren't simple things that you're just going to turn around and read, you know, read in a textbook somewhere and be able to hit the ground running with it. It comes a lifestyle, right? Exactly. It comes a lifestyle. Something that you both mentioned several times was you both volunteer and you recommend others to volunteer because you quite simply get more out of that. I'm curious, how has your membership been as far as, and your personal experience is what I'm asking for, before you were volunteering and now that you are volunteering? So for me, and, and Jay will, will offer his insight as well, for me, it's been uh, a lot of professional experience, right? 
been a real professional learning experience for me. The IWC and being part of the advisory council first and the executive committee afterwards as being so first, when you become an executive committee member, you just can't ask to be, right? You have to be nominated, right? And you're nominated by your peers. And your peers happen to be, in some cases, your competitor, right? But the executive committee is about the industry. It's not about us individually. It's not about us and the companies that we work for. We represent the Engineer Society of Western Pennsylvania and the International Water Conference on that committee, right? It is, it, who we work for is irrelevant. And... What that does is it brings to that conference an integrity and to that leadership and integrity that you are there to promote this conference and it's not about who the company that you work for. And there's something very honorable and respectful about that when, when somebody that you know and have known for years that you've known as a competitor has the confidence in you to recommend you for a leadership role because they like who you are, they trust your expertise and they trust your wherewithal in, in this and, and you're a trustworthy person. So, so from a professional experience, it's been a, it's been an incredible opportunity for me to hone some of those skills that, that I've always looked to do. Right. Jay, what about you? I, uh, I've been coming to the IWC since 2006. Um, and I started coming, I didn't know anything about the IWC before I started coming. And the first year I came, there were a few of my colleagues that have been coming for years and they said, well, we're going to go, we're going to go present on it. You should come down and join it. And it was the first that was the first immersion I had into the conference. And I think coming out of the first year, I was blown away by it. You know, at the time we were probably 580 people, I think around then, give probably. or take, you know, it was even more intimate at the time. Um, and that was back, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was back long enough ago where the culture was a little bit different. Some of the discussions were a little bit more lively and confrontational. And it was, it was, it was awe inspiring for, you know, at that time I was, seven years into my career and it was intimidating and awe-inspiring yeah, at the same exactly. time right yeah. and, it's, and it's it's it became fascinating and I actually I actually co-authored a paper the next year I authored a paper the year after that um, started discussing more and at that time it was a you know I saw it as an opportunity to grow my professional my professional network and my professional credibility a little bit a chance to start writing a little bit uh, in somewhat of a safe space yeah. the peer discussion actually the, the, the way that we peer review our papers is actually as intimidating as it is it's actually it actually creates a safer environment to be able to do that as a young engineer because there's almost a mentorship aspect to it if you write a really good paper as a young engineer and you get a good peer discussion out of it and if you look at that with the right open mind you learn more from that that's more invaluable than anything else and i remember the first time i presented here i was as comfortable as I am talking in front of a room, I was terrified <laughs> because this room is all full of people that have way more experience than I do, that are way more technical, that have all this breadth of, of knowledge and are willing, aren't afraid to share it, right? Sometimes very directly. <laughs> but the one thing I discovered was even despite that sort of charge, that experience that exists, People were very, very gracious. People were very gracious with their feedback. They were very constructive, right? Everything from how you present, how you carry yourself, you know, the way that you use constructive pauses as opposed to word whispers and say, um, and on uh, and stutter. It, it's, there's an opportunity to take that and learn from that. And I found more constructive criticism in a very positive way from presenting here than anywhere else I've ever I've ever been. And translating that into 
you know, when I got nominated to be on the EC, I was humbled by it. At the time when I got nominated in, I was the youngest on the committee, and I, walk, I remember walking into that room the first time, and there was there was there was a brief moment of I'm an imposter. I don't belong here. Right? Like, they, they got the wrong, no, they got the wrong guy, right? right? <laughs> but there were a couple reasons for it, and and I'm no longer the youngest, thank God. <laughs> But it's, it's, it was to bring a little bit of a different culture. And I think the, the team at the time saw a need to start bringing in some younger people, start bringing in a different demographic and a different viewpoint. And for me, I'll, I'll echo what Jim said, the professionalism, the, the ability to network, but also the ability to see things in a different perspective, sitting in this role, independent of company, independent of technology, you have a very different viewpoint and appreciation for the industry. Right. And I talk to competitors as much as I talk to clients, as much as I talk to partners when I'm at this environment. And it's about growing the industry. And regardless of where that is, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to make money because that's why we do business. That's what we do. Right. But at the same time to doing that, we all have a passion for doing what we do and succeeding at it. You know, cleaning up the world's water challenges, cleaning up the world's wastewater challenges, finding ways to be more sustainable. That's important to all of us. You both mentioned the EC or the executive committee. Tell us a little bit about what the EC does. So the EC is actually the committee that oversees the entire International Water Conference. It's the, it's the committee that provides the guidance to the overall conference. It's from the EC, the executive committee, that the general chair comes from, that the technical chair comes from, that the outreach chair comes from, the keynote speaker chair comes from, the workshop chair, right? And those leadership roles within the executive committee are not handed out, they're earned, right? And so that executive committee, we meet regularly. When I say regular, we meet once a month and in person twice a year. And that executive committee is responsible for ensuring the success of this program. That's all there is to it, to, yep. to, to boil it really much down to that. And from what I've seen, you guys have done a great job. Yeah, in the executive committee, again, it's, it's, it's an earned position, right? Um, you have to work your way to that. Like Jay, I was humbled, right, when I was asked because I had to be, I was interviewed by, by two people who I had a tremendous amount of respect for, and they were my competitor. But they had been on the, you know, in the commercial arena, they were my competitor. But they had enough respect for me to say, we think Jim would be really good in this role. And the same thing with Jay. And that's how that works. It's an earned position. The advisory council, on the other hand, you are there as a representative of your, of your company. And there's probably twice as many people on the advisory council as the executive committee. We try to keep the executive committee down to like 20, 21 people. Uh, advisory council is up to 50, 60? It's pushing 60. Pushing yeah. 60, right? And from the advisory council, you get um, session leadership, session chairs, discussion leaders, discussers that manage the day, the, 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 the session itself and have to manage the process of getting the papers and getting the papers in and the peer reviews and the presentations and all that type of stuff. So the advisory council is the breeding ground for the executive committee. And before you get to the advisory council, you you can put your hand up for the advisory council. You can come in if somebody sees this podcast or hears this podcast because, you know, I really want to get involved and I think my company would like to be part of the International Water Conference. They, they We can get them into the advisory council. And then from there, it's up to them, that individual, if they want to go further, if they want to get into a more leadership role, then you, you earn, you earn that, that position. Like Jay and I both have gone through session chairs and discussion leaders and discussers, and we've had active roles leading up to where we're at today. And, and so you have to have that experience. 
Well, I know that helps. Now we have common terminology. We all know what we're talking about. Let's talk about this great conference that you guys are almost at the tail end of. Talked to several people today. They've had great times. They've talked about great information, great papers. So I'm curious, why does somebody need to attend the IWC? So the IWC, the IWC is really about the technical program. And we do have three aspects to it. We've got a workshop program, which is realistically not that different from most conferences workshop programs. I think we try it, as we were talking a little bit earlier, we try and focus our workshops, you know, focusing on education. We try and keep all the commercialism out of the discussions, both through the workshops and the technical program, and try and make it a you know, industry-focused event. Right. So if we do a program, if we do a workshop program on reverse osmosis design, it's not about any individual vendors reverse osmosis design. It's about the general principles of reverse osmosis. For example, the technical program is really the heart of this program. We do the better part of 75, 76 papers a year, give or take. We've talked about expanding it, but we've actually been reluctant to do that because we want to try and keep the quality up. We'll generally get anywhere from maybe 150 to 180 abstracts a year submitted. And then the executive committee will whittle that down to 76 papers in a really solid program. So the reality is we turn away a lot of very good content. And with that, we end up with a technical program that we feel is one of the best in the industry from an industrial water perspective. And as we talked a little bit about before the podcast, our format's very different than what most, most other organizations' formats are. We have a paper that's presented in a 25-minute session. We then have a prepared peer discussion that is prepared beforehand, beforehand. A peer discusser in the industry is selected to review a paper. Usually it's, sometimes it's a competitor. You know, if it's an end user, say it's a refinery, maybe it's a, maybe it's another, a person from another refinery might, we might have discussed it just to get a conflicting viewpoint. And that prepared discussion will then be presented for 10 minutes and we'll basically say, hey, here was your paper. I really liked what you talked about here. Here are some areas to improve or here are some areas where I saw some data and I just don't believe what you're saying or I'm going to challenge you on that or I've seen something different or have you considered this? And it opens it up to be a very general but a good dynamic. Sometimes it's conflicting. Sometimes it's complementary. Sometimes it's both. But that format really promotes this, this conference as being educational and relevant. And that's the point. And that's something we really strive for. We try and keep all the commercialism out of it. That's, that's something I think we've said that a couple times and we'll keep repeating that because that's really a core for how we try and structure our program. The third aspect of this conference formally is the exhibit hall, which unlike some other conferences where the exhibit hall is going the entire time the conference is on, our exhibit hall is only open a couple times. And it's really, you know, it's there so that Companies have the opportunity to exhibit. Often it really becomes a congregation point and a point for you, for people to find each other more than anything else. It's only open when the technical sessions aren't there. And otherwise, when the technical sessions are on, the exhibit hall is closed. And we do that to, to basically push the technical side of the, of the conference, right? Push the educational side of it. We were talking earlier about trying to figure out numbers of how much, how much of the attendance is actually attending the technical sessions. And while we don't know the exact answers, it definitely feels like probably 80, 90% of it. I know a lot of people are here for the continuing education that they get. Who should be coming to get some of that CE? And then what can they expect when they come? So continuing education is a, a big part of 
particularly the workshops, I see it a little bit in the sessions, but particularly the workshops tend to attract more of those maybe operators and those folks that are actually operating a, or involved in the operation of a, of a water treatment plant where they get those continuing education credits. We've actually simplified the process for doing that now and that it's all online with the exception of, I think, the state of New York, York. Yep. <laughs> which requires a hand, still a handwritten verification that you checked in, you checked out. But the IWC takes care of all that for those individuals that are seeking those credits. I know a lot of things took place this week. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what did take place this week? Boy, there was a lot of really good things that happened this week. And, and we just had a wrap-up session with the executive committee and the uh, advisory council just before Jay and I showed up here. And the first thing that we wanted to talk about were some of the highlights. What were the good things? There's always places for improvement. Um, but we really want to talk about the highlights. And some of the highlights were you know, record attendance, solid technical program, a lot of first-time attendees. Uh, we saw there had to be 40 people that were first-time attendees, and that was just at the anniversary dinner on Monday night yep. that stood up. And 25 different countries. And 25 different that. countries, um, 41 different states in the United States, um, and um, sold-out exhibit hall. Um, we're seeing return uh, younger attendees return to uh, this conference as professionals. We are seeing a record number of attendees in the, in the papers, and the content of the papers are very, very good, right? Um, as we seek to satisfy this base of information, we are also looking at um, what are the emerging topics. We talked about these like PFAS and mercury and selenium and, and wastewater and, and conservation and recirculation and minimum liquid discharge, zero liquid discharge. Those are things that are going to continue to evolve, and I see those as being part of a strong technical program next year as well. I don't know, Jay, if you have any. I'd, I'd echo a lot of that. I think you know, I'll give you an example as we're seeing changes in the industry and, and some changes in dynamics. You know, the effluent limitation guidelines for the power industry have been drafted again, and you know there was there was some discussion on that. That's been a that's been an emerging topic for years. That's, I think we're starting to get in the sunset side of that of that though. But PFAS, for example, we had never had a PFAS discussion at this conference before this year, and we had thirty some odd abstracts for PFAS when we record number of abstracts, abstracts for a single know. topic. And we created we created two full sessions around PFAS this year. So for the members that are listening and don't know what that is, explain that for us. Yeah, so PFAS is poly and perfluoroalkylated substances. Um, anybody who's in water treatment kind of understands what's going on with, with that. And it is uh, something that is, uh, I guess, has been referred to as a forever chemical. Sometimes they call it yeah. that. But it, is, but it is a compound in multiple sites, a suite of different compounds that, um, that do not degrade very easily in the environment. And so they're finding their ways into into waterways, public waterways, wastewater, things like that, and have, be, and have become uh, an area of, of significant interest in trying to manage and, and remove and treat. But we've found it to be very difficult to remove because it's neither ionic or organic. It's kind of sort of both, and it's polyfluorinated, so it's kind of greasy, and it's, it's really hard. It's difficult. So it has come up as a, for us in the water treatment industry, it's like the challenge. It's yep. like, how do you do this, right? How do you do it effectively? And I can tell you that the treatment technology that's being promoted today is not going to be the treatment technology tomorrow because it's going to evolve and it's going to get better. And so bringing that to this conference was a big deal. 
Um, and we had a lot of really good abstracts. I was having a discussion, and just not about PFAS, but along the same vein, I was having a discussion with somebody yesterday about the steam electric power space and the coal-fired power space and the, the effluent limitation guidelines that have been imposed on them. And you know, one of the, one of the comments we had is we were reflecting a little bit on the last 12 years, and we said, it's amazing how much technology's changed in the last 12 years. And we were reflecting on that because we were talking about the papers and the presentations we've seen over the last 12 years, and we've seen them change. We've seen you know, new technologies being piloted, some of which have failed, some of which have been more successful, some of which have pivoted. And this year, we're starting to see discussions on you know, what happens when I start these plants up? What happens when I've been running them for a while? And we get to see the whole life cycle of an industry figure out a challenge, figure out solutions for a challenge, and then turn around and present, hey, this is how we solved it, and watch the industry mature as it goes through. So there's a life cycle on a lot of these things because there's always going to be the next big thing, and we're looking for what that is next year to start talking about more of, right? There's been lots of conversation in the industry about direct and indirect potable water reuse and alternative sources of feed water for industry that you know may be in an area that's water strapped or may be in an area that is discharging wastewater and is having problems doing that or in an area that's discharging wastewater to a municipally owned wastewater treatment system that is running out of capacity or is charging exorbitant surcharges and the industry needs to figure out how to reuse and how to be more sustainable. Sometimes it's just about being a good corporate citizen and finding ways to cut water water consumption and you know some people just don't want to be don't want to be in the headline for using a lot of water either so we're always looking to figure out what that is and that'll continue to be our challenge as we present and figure out the program for next year how do people submit abstracts for the program next year well effectively the call for abstracts is already open as of as of now for next year there'll be some more formal communication coming out of the IWC you know LinkedIn a couple different publications we'll start seeing probably January, early January. Deadlines usually somewhere around the end of February. Generally moves a week or two, sometimes every year. But the submission, they can go on to the Engineer Society Western Pennsylvania website or just Google search International Water Conference. And through the website, there's an online submission link that somebody can click and submit a paper for. Can you tell us a little bit about the conference next year, where it's going to be, what you anticipate being talked about, what's going on next year? So the conference next year is going to be in San Antonio, Texas. This conference does rotate between three locations, Orlando, San Antonio, Phoenix. And so last year was Phoenix, this year Orlando, next year San Antonio, following year back to Phoenix. I think is how it's going to go. And, you know, next year we're always looking to up our game every year. You know, the easy things for us to look at are attendance. How do we bolster our attendance? How do we get our attendance numbers up? How do we continue to get the good quality papers? How do we get people in, you know, into the conference and getting signed up for the conference and attending the conference? And so what I see is us being able to try and expand the way that we have kind of interact with the industry. Um, and how do we spread the message about the International Water Conference and how we do that differently? Clearly, this podcast is one way to do that. And we're looking at other ways to try and amp that up so that we can get our message out there broader. And also, we want to educate people more about what the conference is about, like the papers with the peer reviews. I think that's a big hook for some people. It could be scary, but as an attendee, it's great because you get to learn more. You get more bang for your buck when you have somebody that's doing a peer review. And then I think the intimacy part of, the, uh, of it, you know, keeping, keeping this conference at that 1,000 to 2,000 range is probably where we really want to be. I mean, it's, we've, we hear time and time again about the intimacy. So every year, the format is the same, right? Exhibit hall, 
uh, you know, the, uh, the sessions. Session titles change, right, depending on the, the abstracts, but the format of the entire conference remains the same. Uh, starts on Sunday night. And, um, and I would expect us to, some of the highlights will be, on the technical program would be emerging topics. Like what's the next thing we need to really be ahead of you know, and we put our feelers out there with subcommittees to go, what's, what do we want to really talk about? What's the next thing that we might maybe want to have a session on that might resonate with the, uh, with the industry? Yeah. We're always looking for what's the industry buzz, right? What are, what are, what are we hearing? What are people talking about? You know, what are new challenges that some of the industry is starting to see that maybe not everybody's aware of yet? You know, I suspect with sort of our introduction to PFAS this year, I suspect we'll have follow-ups next year more into you know, kind of that life cycle we were talking about a little bit earlier, more into, okay, we've identified a problem, now let's figure out how to solve for it and start being more focused on what those solutions may be and how to implement them and test them and validate them or innovate around them. You know, I, I suspect we're seeing a lot of, you know, there's always discussions about sustainability, right? And it's, it's interesting right now because it's in a very, we're in a dynamic market. We're in an interesting regulatory environment and a challenging regulatory environment, depending on what side of, of the industry you sit in. You know, we're seeing new contaminants of concern on the wastewater side. We're seeing, you know, new, new challenges on the water supply side, uh, as far as scarcity, as far as drought conditions in places that didn't necessarily have a drought before. So, we are starting to see a little bit of a migration away from some of our traditional core topics around boiler chemistry, condensate polishing, cooling, cooling towers. towers. Um, so it's it's not that those aren't important. It's just they're a lot more mature. What we see on cooling towers is how to manage the blowdown. That's the, because that's a source of, of water that can be reused, right? So it'd be, that circles back into a, into a water reuse type of uh, session but it's really the only topic on cooling towers that ever comes up these days. And as we looking forward in the next year, as we move to, as we move to Texas, you know, when we, when we rotate this conference around place to place, we do see different demographics show up, right? When we're in Florida, we tend to get more folks from Florida. When we're in Texas, we usually get a very large bump in attendance from Texas. And when you do that, there tends to be a little bit of a shift in the San Antonio conferences to more on the upstream, downstream oil and gas space, uh, some of the chemical processing industry space, uh, some of the water scarcity space. Those, those areas tend to uptick a little bit when we're in Texas, and I suspect next year is going to be no different. Well, guys, if somebody just tuned in right now, what's the one thing that you want the listeners to know about the IWC? Come see us. Come join. Sign up. Come to San Antonio next year and invite your friends. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, Jim. You beat me to it. So, <laughs> Well, I'll be sure to put all that information on our show notes page so people can find that easy. Uh, a lot of people are driving when they're listening to this, so we don't want them taking notes. So we'll make sure that they stay safe. So Jim, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. I know that we helped the nation quite a bit in learning a lot about the International Water Conference. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Trace. My pleasure. Well, Nation, if you were not taking notes, the International Water Conference is going to be on November 8th through 12th in San Antonio, Texas. Now, what you just heard was in Orlando. Now, what they do is they rotate every year to another city. And so the following year, it will be in Scottsdale, Arizona. That will be November 7th through 11th. That's uh, 2021. And then they're back in Orlando in 2022. 
Now, Nation, I don't know if the IWC is right for you. I don't know if the AWT is right for you. I don't know what organization is right for you. But here's what I want you to start thinking about. What water-related organizations are out there that now you can pick and choose what you will be the best member in and join those? And here's the key. It is not just holding a membership card. Folks, that will do nothing for you. You have to get involved in those organizations. And by giving yourself to those organizations, you will get back tenfold. So as we wrap up this show, I want to ask you this question. How are you driving yourself to become better? Is it joining an organization? And again, it's not just joining, it's being active in that organization. Is it joining a group like a mastermind group? Is it having an accountability partner with somebody that you are close with? Is it reading books on particular topics? The truth is, it really doesn't matter what you do as long as it has a goal to bring you to the next level. So the real questions I want to ask you is how do you gauge where you're at and how do you know that you are continuously getting better? Now, what makes successful people even more successful is they ask questions like that. And most people don't ever think about these questions. And as a result of that, they stay the same. Now, the brutal fact is, if you stay the same, others are going to pass you. And since staying the same will send you backwards in relation to other people, there's no such thing as staying the same. So you have to get in this mindset if you want to stand out if you want to achieve your goals, if you want to become more successful. It all starts with asking those questions. Well, next week, I'm going to be talking with Tom Hutchinson. And if Hutchinson sounds familiar, that's because we heard his son on episodes 122 and 123. That was Reed Hutchinson. And he told us all about what his experiences were like how he went to the technical training and the fundamentals and applications training. We just learned so much from Reed. Well, we're having his dad come on next week. And the reason I wanted Tom to come on was he did a great paper at the Association of Water Technologies last year about generational water treatment companies. And I was really surprised at how many generational water treatment companies are out there. And if you're wondering what that term is, it just simply means that a father passed it on to his son or daughter, and it's gone in several generations. Now, he noted what successful companies did during those transitions. He also talked about what unsuccessful companies did, and he had so many great takeaways. So we asked him about those questions, things that he learned during that paper, and also what he's learned throughout his career. So that is going to be a great interview. I can't wait to bring it to you next week on Scaling Up H2O. Since we started the Rising Tide Mastermind in early January this year, we have successfully filled up two groups. We're looking at starting our third group 
So if you want to be a member of this exciting new group, please go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this group is exactly what you were looking for.